Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Today we begin a sermon series called Home Church, Home Slash Church. And you can see even just in the uh, image we have on the screen that, um, well, it's supposed to be integrated. It's a home and church have always supposed to have been one and the same. Faith is something that we do at both. But there's this tendency, you know, life gets in the way, things are busy, we collapse uh, in need of rest at the end of the day at home, and we come to church to, uh, to, to help. And it's, well, I suppose it's only human that from time to time we begin to start thinking of our faith as something we do at church and not something we do at home. But that's not the truth. The truth is they're supposed to be integrated. They've always supposed to be integrated. You know, the uh, company that makes our uh, children's curriculum that we use for Sunday school and that Miss Patty uses, I like the name of it. It's called Orange. And at first I thought, what a strange name for a company that makes a children's curriculum. But here's what it means, you see, because it says that yellow is the color of light. And that's what the church is supposed to be, shining a light, shining God's light into the world. And at the meantime, red is the color of love, the color of heart. And that's what we're supposed to have at home and in the world around us. And their goal with the company Orange is to take the yellow of the church's light and to shine it into the red of our heart and our home and so that they can be truly integrated and our faith can be with us wherever we go. Because of course, as any kid could tell you, yellow and red make orange. Here's the thing though, we have this tendency to separate the, tru- the, the two, uh, uh, church and home. But this pandemic is kind of forcing matters, right? We're all worshiping at home these days. Well, right now, me and 10 of us this morning are worshiping in the church, technically speaking. But even we have seen the center of our faith move more into our home than here at church, and that's a good thing. That's one of those things that we should keep as uh, we begin to rebuild our world and figure out uh, what the next new normal looks like. And so, in this series, Home Slash Church, we are going to be talking about, let's call it Faith 101 topics, the very basics of our faith, because I think reminding us of these tools in this new time will will help us focus it, help us maintain a strong faith at our home and in our world and everywhere that we go. Now, our scriptures, at least for most of these uh, uh, sermons, are going to be coming from the epistles. Now, the epistles are the uh, letters that are towards the end of the New Testament. Most of them are pretty short. But here's the thing. Most of the Christians in those days worshipped, if they were Jewish, they would worship at temple, and then they would gather in homes to learn about Jesus and to learn about Christ, not unlike we're doing today. In fact, we could easily say that this live stream to you is an epistle from me into your home. And it's what we all do to help help grow. And in particular, like I say, not every week, but most of the weeks we're going to be in the epistle to the Ephesians. Now, I'm going to read a little bit to you here in a moment, but let me tell you why. One reason is because it's just my favorite. <laughs> Another reason, though, is because it, uh, helps, uh, it helped form our vision for our church. Just last week, uh, I uh, 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 said quite a bit about our church's uh, new vision uh, to uh, build a community of people who are fully alive in Christ, and that that is our goal, that we see the people around us who are fully alive. We see uh, people who are uh, shining examples of light in the world, and that's who we aspire to be, too. And what we do 
do as a church is help, help us get there and to help make people like that. Well, that vision was inspired, at least in part, by Ephesians. But there's another reason most of our lessons are going to come from it too. Now, most of them are named for the church, or for the, t the city in which the home churches were located, that, that, that were being written to. Okay, well there's some grammar. Somebody can, somebody can, but you get what I'm saying? So the letter to the Romans was written to those who were uh, learning about Christ in Rome. Uh, Colossians was written to those that were in Colossae. And Ephesians, well it's a bit more complicated. <laughs> you see, scholars take a look at Ephesians and they've realized that not all, the old, not all of the ancient manuscripts actually say to the church in Ephesus, which would be the town of Ephesus, Ephesians, right? Uh, and they've uh, come to realize with a pretty fair level of certainty that that name was actually added later. And in fact, they think now that it wasn't even written by Paul. Now, that's not a bad thing. Uh, it was common practice in those days to write in someone's honor, to write in the tradition or in the style of someone else and to put their name at the top as part of that honor. So they actually think that it was written not to the church in Ephesus, but to all of those Christians who were meeting in homes to learn about Christ. Now is it starting to feel a little more close to heart? I know it is for me. So let me read you how it starts. It goes like this. From Paul, or in Paul's honor, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Or, we can safely say, to the holy and faithful people in Christ Jesus in their homes. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the writer gives some blessings in the beginning, but listen to what he says starting in verse 15. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers. That's quite a prayer, isn't it? I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call. So right at the very beginning we see an example of prayer. The kind of example of prayer that's not just to tell those who were in their homes that they were being prayed for, but to invite them to prayer too, to set an example, to say it is all of us who pray. But that leads to the question of the first week of our series, Home Church. The what and how of praying. So what is prayer? Your first thought might be that prayer is talking to God. And certainly that is a type of prayer, right? We talk to God. Uh, it is uh, good to give thanks to God. In fact, gratitude is one of the best types of prayer. We bring our concerns and our troubles before God, pray for those dear to us that are facing difficult times. But I don't think that's a big enough definition of prayer. So I want to suggest a wider one this morning. It's turning our attention to God and setting our attention on God. Because prayer can also be silence. Prayer can also be a simple attitude that we take as we go throughout our day. 
But we need to say a little more about the talking to God part of it. Because here's the thing. I think anyone who has ever prayed for very long has been confused about how God answers prayer. Now, before you think I have any answers uh, for answers for you, I'll just tell you, you're still going to be confused at the end of this because none of us quite knows, none of us quite understands. You see, prayer isn't the kind of thing that you can talk about. It isn't the kind of thing that you can even teach someone, really. Uh, it's more something that you have to experience by doing. And only someone who has been praying and praying for a while can truly hold or at least have a sense, maybe only in the gut, maybe only in the heart, of what prayer is all about. But it's still good to ask the question, does prayer change anything? You know, so here we have an example of the writer of this epistle praying that the eyes of our heart might have enough light to see God's hope. So, does him praying this for the churches then and for us today does that make any difference? Does God's, does what God is doing change? Does how God respond change to a prayer like that? Well, the simple answer is, yes, question mark? <laughs> Maybe, kind of? It's more complicated than that? You see, the thing I'll say first is that prayer mostly changes us. You know, there have been times when I've prayed for what I later realize are the wrong things. Or maybe that there's more that I didn't know. Or maybe that what God sees in God's reality is greater than what I see. And I learn that through my prayers, even the misguided ones. But there's also times through our prayer that God answers it in ways we don't expect and that changes us too. You know, I asked my wife if I could share one of her stories. I wish she were here to tell it because it is her story. But it's, it's such a good one. When she was a little girl, and she gave me permission to share it. When she was a little girl, her, her grandpa died. Uh, and it was a very difficult time, of course, as it is whenever you experience uh, any death of someone close to you, let alone when so young. And she remembers praying that he would be better and that his pain would go away. He died. He passed. And of course, she was heartbroken, not just because of the loss, but also confused because she had prayed for God to make him better and for his pain to go away. I don't know how quickly she realized it. I would guess it probably took a while. But she eventually realized that her grandpa was better. That her grandpa was better than she had ever imagined. That not only was his pain gone, but that he was now experiencing life like none of us in this mortal life have yet to experience our own selves. No, there was something greater that she didn't know and that she couldn't see yet. Now, that said, those who like logical arguments will always find a way to talk about God uh, not answering prayers and the complications because certainly there are some things in this world that are not God's will and not God's desire and that's, well, a, a difficult topic for another time. But lest you be discouraged in your own prayer, lest you be any more fearful of praying for the right things, let me tell you what Jesus had to say about it. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus uh, shares the uh, Lord's Prayer. You know, it's likely part of what Jesus taught as he went from uh, city to city, from town to town. And right after Jesus finishes teaching the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, he says this. Imagine that one of you has a friend, and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. 
Imagine saying, can you imagine here knocking on the door in the middle of the night, friend, loan me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. Now, imagine further that he answers from within the house, don't bother me. All right, that one's easier to imagine. <laughs> he answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to, and give you anything. Jesus continues, I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness, right? Can I, can I, can I put some words in Jesus' mouth and say this different? He'll at least get up and help him so he'll shut up, so he'll stop talking. I mean, that's really what's going on there, right? Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you because everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is open. This is a parable on prayer. Jesus says, is saying that when we pray, we should bring our desires to God with that kind of brashness, like the friend in the middle of the night knocking on the door until his friend finally gets out of bed. That's how we should pray to God with our needs. And you know, I'm reminded of a, a, a great theologian who once said, uh, sharing his faith in a moment, who once said uh, that, you know, oftentimes answers to prayers are seen as coincidences. But it's amazing how much less often coincidences happen when I don't pray. I'll just leave that hanging. <laughs> because more of what I want to talk about today isn't what is prayer, but how to pray. Because uh, praying yourself is the only way to truly have a deeper understanding of what prayer is all about, whether at church or in your home or in the world. And if prayer is turning our attention to God, then what are we doing right now? Worship. Worship is a form of prayer, isn't it? When we sing holy songs, especially any music, really, anything of beauty uh, can be a form of prayer as long as we turn our attention to God. When we study the scripture, when we, uh, when we speak in ways such as this, these are all forms of prayer. And this is a type of prayer, worship is, that we do together. And that makes it special its own self. Uh, another uh, uh, type of praying that I think is often overlooked is journaling. Now, there's lots of ways to journal. You know, maybe you write about your day. I know a lot of people who've started a COVID-19 journal so that, uh, the, that one day their uh, descendants, their uh, grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren can go back and read what life was like during COVID-19. Uh, that is a wonderful thing to do. But another way to journal is to talk to God. And in your journaling, to pray. And everyone, I swear, everyone I've ever talked to who's tried prayer through journaling says that it feels like a conversation. And it really does. You know, I think one of the times that I've been most confused about my own journey was during the period where I realized that uh, God was calling me to become a pastor. I mean, working that out is a, a, a real head thing, I'm telling you. Uh, and so as a, uh, that, that is the time in my life when I journaled the most. And as I wrote out my prayers to God, it really did feel like a conversation. So if you need a good way to pray, try it. I recommend, personally, I recommend not using some kind of fancy leather bound kind of journal and a 
fancy pen. I rather think that the best you can do is the cheapest paper you have around. Grab a sheet off the printer, uh, maybe, or a spiral-bound notebook or something. Something about it being throw-away-able makes it easier to just start writing. At least it does for me. Silence is another good type of prayer. Now, if any of you have ever tried to sit in silence, you know that it is not easy to do. You don't realize how much your mind races until you try to be quiet. It's very similar to meditation, and meditation is a good practice too. In fact, there's a lot in our culture right now about how to meditate well. But here's what I've experienced. As I was learning meditation, I realized that I wasn't alone. In those moments where silence seemed to be most with me, that there was a presence with a capital P that was in that silence if you are open to it. You know, you don't need words in moments like those. You don't need words at all. Simply being in that presence with a capital P is prayer enough. And it doesn't even have to be sitting on a cushion in, in meditation. You know, uh, I believe that washing the dishes can be a profound type of prayer too. You know, maybe you notice the heat of the water or, or the coolness of the rinse if you're hand washing. You, you get what I'm saying, right? Notice what's around you and be in connection with the moment. And you'll be amazed at how that sense of presence will be there if you're open to it. Another type of prayer then is fixed hour prayer. Now this one might need just a little more talk. Fixed hour prayer is what monks and nuns do in monasteries. Uh, and they actually have, in, in some cases, they have a bell that sounds and then they stop whatever they're doing to go and pray. And that's an important part of it. In some of the stricter orders, they have, what is it, Benedictines have like 8 or 10 or 11 times of prayer a day and one of them I think is 3 a.m. even in the middle of the night. And the idea is that prayer is isn't something that you do as part of your day. Instead, your day is something that you do as part of your prayer. You see how it flips the script? You know, and, and even if you don't pray eight times a day, it can still be good. So set an alarm on your phone. Set it for 2 p.m. or whatever time seems right to you. Maybe do three. Maybe you do when you wake up, one in the middle of the day, and then one before bed. And whatever you're doing when that alarm goes off, don't say, let me finish this one thing. No. Stop and sit and pray. And there are books to help, too, that can also be part of it. This is the gold standard, the uh, a Book of Common Prayer from the Anglican Church and the Episcopalians. I'm going to be honest. This book has so much beauty, but it confuses me. <laughs> I need some more Episcopalian friends, apparently, because whenever I try to find something, when you pray, you have to flip back and forth to different sections. Uh, a lot of prayer books are like that. My own favorite is The Divine Hours by my, one of my favorite authors, Phyllis Tickle. This has it all uh, 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 spelled out so that you can uh, pray as you go. And I know that a lot of you care deeply about issues of justice, as well you should. This one is called Common Prayer. A Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. And it spells out prayers for each day too uh, with a special eye towards justice. If any of you would like uh, uh, resources, please send me a message. I know Jody Renee would be happy to help you or others too and we can help you find it. Because sometimes it's helpful because it interrupts our day, right? Because we have a structured time and a time when we desperately need structure. But sometimes we don't know what to pray. And books like these give us words when we can find none of our own. But sometimes our state is even worse than that. There are some times when we can't even enter, enter into that kind of prayer. And that's when this next one is important. 
let the Holy Spirit pray for you. You know, there's a great verse in Romans 8. It says this, In the same way the Spirit comes to help our weakness, we don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. So when you find yourself in a moment of crisis, when you find that you can't even enter into prayer, know that the Holy Spirit prays for you with unexpressed groans too, and that God hears it. Now the best I think I've saved for last, and that is the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' own way of teaching us how to pray. Uh, in in Matthew, Matthew 5, I think it is, Matthew 5 or 6. But I want to tell a story to get into it. I love stories about monks and nuns. There's something about that lifestyle and that level of dedication that really teaches about Christ and really brings wisdom into the picture. And uh, as with all great wisdom stories, this one begins with an old monk and a young monk. Uh, and the old monk and the young monk are walking along the path from one town to another. And the young monk is clearly frustrated. The young monk is clearly frustrated. He hasn't been doing this very long. Uh, maybe monastic life and being a monk isn't quite what he expected. Maybe he didn't like the haircut. I don't know how that works either. <laughs> but he says to the older monk, can I have a break from the prayer book? I don't like praying that way. For one thing, it's a lot of work flipping back and forth all around the book all the time. It distracts me. Shouldn't I be paying more attention to God than I am to which page the ribbons need to be on and all of these hoops that we jump through just to pray? Can I take a break from the prayer book? And the old monk, with the wisdom of the years, stays silent for a while, for a little further down the path, and then says, okay, you may take a break from the prayer book, but here is what you shall do instead. Instead, I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer, and only the Lord's Prayer. And the young monk's thinking, oh great, this will be easy, this won't take any time at all. And the old monk says, and when you say each line of the Lord's Prayer, pause and say it again and again until you truly mean that line from the depth of your heart. A week later, the young monk came back and said, okay, can I go back to the prayer book now? You see, it's hard. It's hard to pray the Lord's Prayer and truly mean it. It teaches us how to structure our prayer. It teaches us to turn our attention to God and to ask the things that most need to be asked. But to truly mean it isn't easy. Now maybe you could pray it like that, where you, you, you say it again and again until you mean it. Or maybe you could say each line of the Lord's Prayer and then elaborate on each line. For instance, when we get, when we get to the one, you know, uh, uh, forgive, uh, forgive us our trespasses, maybe you can talk to God for a while about the ways that you've been weak and ask for forgiveness. And when you say, as we forgive those who trespass against us, maybe you could spend a few minutes considering who it is that you need to forgive. But if you want to learn how to pray, the Lord's Prayer is an awfully good place to start. And I want us to say it together now. Let's say it together and I'm going to pause. Well, perhaps not as long as we might if we were on our own. But I'm going to pause for at least a little while. And I want you to think about each line and what it means. And what it says to your heart. 
I want you to elaborate where you may. And I want you to know that the God upon whom you have your attention is in you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.